He walks into the office like he has for the last nine months, and he continues to have a conversation with a woman that continually pushes the envelope, continually takes it to the next step. And that day, after nine months, they commit to putting money down in a hotel, a time and a day where they'll meet, and that guy destroys his entire life. He breaks his children. He breaks everyone's heart. She's uh, sitting, and it's late at night, and she's consumed with concern and worry, and anxiety, anxiety is eating her from the inside out. It's beginning to show itself in a nervous twitch. Will God provide? Will she have what she needs? There's a temptation to not trust that God will be God in moments like that. There's a temptation to trust that in moments like that, that God can't handle all the emotions that are in play. Today, we're going to talk about how to overcome temptation, but not from a perspective of how to withstand a temptation. We've been talking about that for weeks. We've been talking about that in everyday life, listen to me, if you love Jesus, you don't love Jesus. If you're highly spiritual or not so much. If you can't wait to get out of here or you love this every minute of this service, every one of us will go through moments of temptation where we feel like we cannot endure them any longer. The question is, what then do we do in those moments? Because I don't need to tell you that when people fall into temptation, those who did not fall into temptation pay for it. You didn't need me to tell you that, right? That wasn't something, that wasn't new that you, I just taught you. You know that. Some of you, some of you had to grow up with mom and dad not being in the same house, not because of your sin, but because of one of their sins. You see, the fact is, when others fall to temptation, there is a collateral damage that goes across. There is a pain that is felt by many when anyone falls into temptation. Now, you ask any dad in the world, ask any dad in the world if he wants to give an example to his daughter about how a man abuses his spouse, that's negative and painful, and that dad will say, absolutely not. Ask any mom in the world if she wants to give her son an example of what a cheating wife looks like so that the son would grow up to marry a cheating wife. And she'll say, never in a million years do I want to do that. And yet, sometimes we fall into a temptation where that's exactly what we do. What do we do when that happens? Because here's the deal. All I know is that I am t the person who's speaking is a deep, grievous, awful sinner. And this deep, grievous, awful sinner is speaking to deep, grievous, awful sinners. That's all we got in this room. 
You might be Christian, you might not be Christian, but here's what you all are. Bunch of sinners who desperately need Jesus and desperately need redemption. So within the last few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been talking about how to withstand the kind of temptations that are coming your way. How to withstand them. We said we put on the helmet of salvation. We put on the shoes of peace. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We put on the shield of faith. We put on the belt of truth. We put on these, all the resources that we need to overcome temptation, struggle, pain, suffering, difficulty, all the resources that we need to overcome any of those negative values of life, all of them are given to us by God generously. But then there comes a point where we just, have you ever been this way? Where you just go, I can't take it anymore. The temptation hasn't been with you for a day or a week or a month. Maybe the temptation's been with you for like years and years. Marriages that are just enduring real strife and the temptation. It's just been going on for years to go outside the marriage, to be mean-spirited to one another, to harm one another. The temptation is great. Maybe you're single and the temptation is, well, if, if being a Christian doesn't win men over, being a Christian doesn't win women over, maybe I can do some things that are a little bit outside the Christian bounds that might be okay for now. God will forgive me. And we do those things that are outside the bounds in order to get what we think will give us the satisfaction we need. Listen, there's all sorts of temptation, but there comes a point where we go, I just can't, I feel like I can't stand anymore. And so God gives us this precious gift this tool that we need in order to combat Satan, and it's simply this. It's the sword of the Spirit. In the armor of God, he gives us the helmet of salvation, he gives us the breastplate of righteousness, he gives us the shield of faith, he gives us the belt of truth, the shoes of peace. He gives us all these resources, but the one offensive, not just defensive, but offensive weapon in our arsenal is the sword of the Spirit. Now, stay seated. I'm just going to read this. Remember last week we talked about the helmet of salvation, and then it goes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, there is a way that you can defend your emotions. Defend your mind. Defend your great ideas that are going to lead you to really bad outcomes. To defend yourself against that, there's this wonderful thing. It's called the sword of the spirit. Now, if you're here for the first time, we've been, uh, in the, you're coming into this subject after we've been talking about it for about six weeks. So you can listen, go online, listen to the last few weeks. I can't go into all of it, but what I can tell you is that we all will come against difficulties, strife, temptations, and heartaches. And there are going to be worldly ways that we deal with them. In other words, when I say worldly ways, I mean the ways we grew up learning. In my house, we grew up learning that men act like this. In your house, you grew up learning that women act like this. Children act like this. And some of it is wonderful, and some of it not so much. So the question isn't, how can I be more like my culture? The question is, how can I be 
more in tune with the one who created me. Because if he created me, then he knows how I should function. That makes sense, right? Okay. So, so when, it, when the Bible says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the sword of the Spirit belongs, own, is owned by uh, the Spirit of God. It's the word of God. It belong, the sword belongs to the Spirit, and it's the word of God. So we ask ourselves, how can we defend ourselves? Listen to me. Every one of you, this week, last week, next week, you're going to go through some temptation. It's really important that you listen to this. You know why? This message may be the difference between you being able to enjoy your life at home, watch your kids graduate, and celebrate the faithfulness of God in your marriage. Or if you ignore a message like this, it might be that you have to sit down with your kid and talk to him why daddy has to leave home. You see, nobody thinks that when it's just a fling. It's a fling at work. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, all of the flings. Listen to me. The, this message might be the difference between you walking in joy and encouragement or walking in depression if ignored. So there's a lot at stake here. So what I'm going to teach you how to do is I'm going to teach you how to resist the temptation that comes from Satan. And I'm going to do it by giving you an example that's found in Christ. Now you go, wait up. I'm going to get off the bus because I ain't Jesus, to which I would say, finally, we all agree. <laughs> of course you're not Jesus. In fact, that's something good to rehearse in your mind, because some of us like to act like Jesus. And so let's all agree. Matter of fact, let's say that together. I'm not Jesus. Let's say that together. Let's say it like with the conviction. Go ahead. I'm not Jesus. That's a good thing to rehearse every now and again. Husbands, take note. Wives, take note. I'm not Jesus. Good. Now that we both agree that you're not Jesus, we're not looking to Jesus in the, in the passage that we're going to look at today to illustrate this sword of the Spirit. The passage that we're going to look at is not going to be Jesus being an example for us, but Jesus doing something in our stead. There's a difference. If Jesus is only a good example, Christianity is so depressing. In fact, that's the way most of you grew up. Jesus is a great example. Now go be like Jesus. Everything will go fine. That's insane. Go ahead and try to be. You go ahead and try to be like Jesus one day. Go ahead. Try. It's insane. You, you, don't, you don't turn the cheek when someone slaps you. I don't. I think of where the bazookas are. I try to think of how I can uh, grease the top of the stairs so people fall down the stairs. Like, I have crazy thoughts. You know why? Because, because Jesus is not our example. He's our substitute. Now, this changes everything. If you grew up in a home where you went to church and Jesus was just a good example, then Listen, if Jesus is a good example and you've been following Jesus and Jesus doesn't give you what you want, then you have full right to be angry at Jesus. 
Jesus, you didn't give me the kids because he owes you. You know why? You live in a barter system with Jesus. And here's the system. Jesus, I will be good. What do we mean by good? Basically, pay our taxes. Try not to cheat too much on our spouse. Um, you know, not steal anything. Don't do too much pornography. You know, um, try not to curse that much. Skip a couple of meets on certain days. Like, that's basically the deal, right? We're good people. We go to church on Sundays. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're religious especially, that means I'm talking to the people sitting in this room. If you come here to more than twice a month, I'm talking to you. You think, oh, I'll just come. I have my seat. There's a seat, right? You have a seat. You're sitting in it right now. And... And you go and you read your Bible and you sing your Christian songs and you think, now Jesus, you owe me the promotion. See, because if Jesus is your example and you're trying to follow Jesus' example, then he owes you. Because he's the example, you're following it, now Jesus owes you a good life. He owes you healthy kids. He owes, right? He owes you. But Jesus is not our example. Or he's much more than that, I should say. Jesus is your replacement. Jesus isn't the one who shows you what to do. Jesus is the one by which God sees you through. See the difference? So that means when I'm grimy, dirty, awful, like I am, because I am. God the Father doesn't see me like Edwin Cologne. God the Father sees me. Oh, man. He looks like Jesus. Wow. So now, when we look at how Jesus defends himself against these temptations, you're going to learn some things. Sure. Oh, look, I can do that. And I'm even going to give you some helpful suggestions on how to do what Jesus is doing. But that's not the point. The point, in fact, is that you don't do it. And that we need Jesus. And thank God Jesus did it. And now we can walk in his power. It's a different way of looking at Jesus. It's a different way of looking at God. We're not just talking about vague spirituality. We're not just talking. It's different than every religion in the whole world. It's a dependency on God in every moment. It's awesome. So let's look at how God had to experience the sword of the Spirit in the moment of great temptation. Let me give you the, the context. Jesus has just opened his ministry officially. He goes to John the Baptist and goes to the, you'll remember this from Sunday school, right? He goes to John the Baptist and he says, um, John, baptize me. John goes, no way, bro. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus goes, nah, dude. You should be baptizing me. And then John goes, nah, you should be baptizing me. It's this exchange. You remember this exchange, right? Not exactly like that, but kind of like that. And so, so Jesus tells John, listen to me. I don't need to be baptized because I'm sinful. I need to be baptized. Because remember, he's not our ex- just our example. He's our replacement. So he's doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
So he goes, and he goes to John, and he goes, go ahead and baptize me. John baptizes him. He comes out of the water and the Father in heaven. So we know, right, we're Christians. We're triune Christians where there's the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. We got that, right? We grew up with that. We understand that. No, we don't, but we kind of think we do. And so it's three persons, one God, and we see everyone within the Trinity in that moment. The dove falls on Jesus, or the Spirit falls on Jesus as a dove, and the Father speaks in heaven while the Son is being baptized. The Son comes up, and then the Father says, This is my Son. I'm so pleased with Him. Remember, Jesus is not just our example. He's our substitute. Anything that the Father says about Jesus... He's saying about you because he's no longer, if you're in Christ, he's no longer looking at you with your track record. He's looking at you through the lens of Christ's sacrifice. It's a different way. This is my son whom I'm really pleased with. Pause. Then the next sentence. You ready? Here it comes. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, Excuse me? Here's something that you need to know. If you're a Christ follower, and if you're not a Christ follower, you should know this. Listen, in the Christian walk, there's times of refreshment, and then there's times of suffering. And often they travel very close together. Sometimes, let me tell you something, sometimes it's nothing but water, and sometimes it's nothing but desert. That's the life of a Christian. But remember, Jesus is not just your example. He's your replacement. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, there's a couple of things. Then we see after the affirmation of God. Many of you, when you go through your suffering, you're like me. You go, well, the reason I'm going through my suffering is because I'm such a bad dad or I was such a bad, or something that I did when I was 13 years old is catching up with me. We're reminded about this. We were told this. Don't worry. Do you remember this growing up? Did your mom ever tell you? No, uh, Don't worry. Let me, let me see if I can do this in English. Don't worry. You're going to get yours. Did your mom ever do that to you? And what she meant was the, the pain and suffering that you're giving to me, your parent, is the pain and suffering that you're going to experience with your children, right? And I still carry that with me. Whenever I suffer, I go, oh, it must be connected to something I did in the past. Maybe you think like that. Listen to me. I'm telling you, Jesus was perfect. He got the affection and the love of the Father And then by the very Holy Spirit that landed on him like a dove was led out into the desert for the purpose of being tested. Not every time you and I go through suffering, not every time you and I go through temptation, not every time you and I go through suffering, not every time is it because we're being punished. Not true. Untrue, in fact. Then, at Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the most obvious statement in the whole Bible. Ready? He was hungry. Uh-huh. After 40 days and 40 nights, 
right? How many people were here um, for the day of delighting, right? After nine hours, right? <laughs> nine hours, he was hungry. I was like, oh, I can't take it no more. Nine hours. The tempter came to him. Listen, listen, listen. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these sons, these stones to become bread. Look at me. This is really, really important. I don't want you to miss this. The first thing he does is he, is he speaks contra to what God has spoken about Jesus. Remember what the father said? This is my whom I am well. What does Satan open up with? If you are the son, of course. Because Satan, every time he attacks, will always get you to question your relationship with God. Every time. He'll make you question your salvation. He'll make you question your walk with God. He'll make you question. He'll do that so that he can open up this next thing. If you are the son of God, tell those stones to become bread. Well, what's the problem with that? Satan was trying to get Jesus to doubt God's provision in the face of scarcity and longing. See, that's the big, that's the big point that I need you to know. That the first temptation is to doubt God's provision and love in the face of scarcity and longing. That when you're going through a time, when you're experiencing a moment where it's an elongated suffering, where it's an elongated temptation, where the difficulties, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and then a small light appears and it looks like an oncoming train. It's only getting worse. First thing Satan wants to do is doubt God's provision and love in the face of scarcity and longing. It was 40 days since Jesus had a meal. Now, there's something else that I want you to see. It's, it's this incredible narrative that's going back and forth. Jesus is going to answer Satan with three verses found in two chapters from only one book. He answered Satan with three verses found in two chapters in only one book, the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the reason that that's so important is because you and I have a lot more verses than three. And yet, Jesus defeated Satan because, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus is trying to demonstrate, he's trying to show something. He's showing us something powerful and beautiful. He says, Satan says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus is going to the scriptures, because remember, we're talking about the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. So here's Jesus 
and he goes to God's word, and he goes to, who here has a verse that they've memorized in the book of Deuteronomy? Show of hands, because I want you to say it real fast. Go ahead. Quote your verse, if you got it. Quote your verse in Deuteronomy. Right. Why? It's not, it's not where we do our devotionals from, right? And yet, listen to me. Jesus is showing us that there's so much power in all of God's word, and we miss so much just by not picking the book up, just by ignoring the book. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus is not pulling that verse out of thin air. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, Israel found themselves also in a desert. They found themselves for 40 years. Moses is explaining to them all that God did for those 40 years. And in Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses says this. This is powerful. Moses says, he humbled you. He's, Moses is talking to Israel. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you. What was God trying to teach them? That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, our provision is not from our hands. Our provision, listen to me, your salvation is not from your hands. Your sanctification is not from your hands. Your daily bread is not from your hands. You can't even wake yourself up in the morning. You understand that that's a gift of God. You go, no, nah, man, I woke myself up. In fact, my alarm woke me up in this morning. I defy you, take that same alarm clock to the, to the cemetery and see how many people it wakes up. Because listen to me, listen to me. There's something precious that we need to learn. That God is a provider. And Satan, what he wants to do in a temptation is make you think that you're a better God at providing for your needs than God is at providing your needs. See, Jesus, again, but we're finding out that Jesus is not our example. He's our substitute. He's the one who, is, who goes through the suffering so that we could be filled with the joy He's the one who goes through the temptation so that you and I could be filled with the satisfaction of who he is. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The first temptation that you need to see is that God doubt that Satan wants to make you doubt God's provision and love in the face of scarcity and longing. You know, when you're at the refrigerator and you eat that thing and then you put your finger down your throat because you don't want to look in a particular way, you know the temptation to do that over and over and over again? You know the temptation that makes you wear long sleeves on summer days because of all the cuts that you have on your arms and legs? You know that one? You know the temptation that Satan gives? That in your mind to curse yourself. You know that temptation? It's found in doubting that God has provided for you. Listen to me. God has provided you a savior. You're looking for saviors in wrong places. And when we do, we, we don't find salvation. We find 
damnation. Not because God sends us anywhere, but because we discover it for ourselves. Let's look at the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse 6. If you are the son of God, there he is with that. Hey, you sure? If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Look up at me. Satan, the first temptation was practical, right? What's wrong with making bread out of stones, especially if you haven't eaten in 40 days, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But Satan wanted Jesus to use his own power rather than rest on the power of the Father's provision. You see the difference? It's not what God wants. God doesn't want you to rely on your own power. He wants you to rely on his power. Not, and that doesn't mean that you sit idly by. God gives you strength and he directs and he leads. But everybody knows there's a line that you step over to become your own God and make it happen for yourself. Everybody can see. If you can't see it, everybody around you can see it clearly. So Satan goes, oh, okay, wait, I'm not going to go to the subtle route. You know what I'll do? He actually quotes scripture, Psalm 91. Psalm 91. He goes this. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You see, this temptation is a temptation to twist Scripture for personal gain. To make Scripture say what you want it to say so that you could benefit. How many times have I heard this? I mean, like a million times, right? So, right, here's, here's a, uh, a spouse, and they're thinking about cheating on their wives or their husband. And they go, and here's what they do. But wait, 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 wait. Doesn't God want me to be happy? In other words, they appeal to God to break God's heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. This is my getting too personal. Okay, so let's try this again. Okay, so watch this. I understand. Messages like this are very uncomfortable. And the reason that they're uncomfortable is because God wants to do a spiritual work in each one of our hearts. Don't fight against that. Let, that, let God do that work. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, baby, it's, we cannot claim a God-given gift in a God-forbidden way. Does that make sense? That you may or may not have these affections, these desires, these emotions. You may be bent this way. You may have been born this way. But it doesn't mean that you pursue that in a God-forbidden way. You see, Satan wants to twist Scripture for personal gain. This scripture is for those who are pursuing God and danger is coming their way. God talks about the heavenly protection he'll give that person who's living for God, who's doing his will, who God will send angels to comfort him. Listen to me. What Satan wants to do is he wants to have God tested. All right, God, you know what this is like, right? I, I have a young enough, I have, 
I have two sons, three daughters, five kids. So my first son, he's 25. He stopped doing this. I'm grateful. But my four-year-old son has not stopped doing this. And that is, go from any stair in the world and jump towards me. Has your kid ever done this to you? Where you're at a, like either on a ladder or a stair, and then they just, they just jump at you. They jump at you, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And you have to catch them. Have you, have you ever had to do that? It's nerve-wracking. It's nerve-wracking. I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to kill yourself or me. Like, you're going you're gonna to destroy. You're going to give me a heart attack. Now, watch this. There, there's a sense where Satan is tempting Jesus to do this very same thing. I'm going to screw up my life. God, you better catch me. And he'll get Satan to use scripture. He'll get Satan to use scripture to convince you that your position is right. Did you know? Did you know that you could use scripture to justify any selfish, self-centered, egotistic behavior that you have? Did you know that? I wonder if you knew that. You could. You could. I've, I myself have used scripture to protect myself from God. Because I didn't want to do God's will. Beloved, you think Satan will throw that at you? Yeah. But listen to me. Jesus is not your example. He's your substitute. He did something for you. And we'll see it. We'll see it. Jesus responds. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, found in Deuteronomy. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't destroy your life and expect God. Because let me tell you something. Some of the most marvelous works that God has ever done in my own heart is after I went splat. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. Listen. If you will bow down and worship me. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. I'll give you all of your heart's desire. I'll give you the very thing that you were put on this earth to do. What was Jesus put on this earth? To be the savior of the world. Hey, I will give you, I'll give you, listen to me, I'll give you everything without the suffering. I'll give you the world without the heartache. I'll give you all of your reign without any of your sacrifice. That's what Satan is offering. You think he might do that to you? Yeah, maybe once or twice. Jesus said to him, so what, what, does, J, what does Satan do here? Here, Satan gets Jesus to try to break the first commandment. By the way, you simply cannot break any commandment without breaking the first commandment. The first commandment is the gateway 
to all the other. The first commandment, breaking the first commandment is the gateway to breaking all the other commandments. The first commandment speaks about having no other God. But here's the thing. We make good things our gods. Good things. You know what I'm saying when I say we make good things our gods? Like I have five children. And my children are wonderful children. They're terrible masters. Do you know what I mean by when I say terrible masters? That means when you live, not for God's approval, but for your children's approval. When you live, not for God's joy and satisfaction, but for your children's joy and satisfaction. When you, and right now, if you're getting angry at me, you know that you do. When you live for that, you've made your children your God, and, and what you've done is destroyed them, really, and you destroyed yourself. When you make work your God, I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to make sure I have a second house. I'm going to make sure that I can do this and do that. I'm going to make, I'm going to make status and finances my God. When you make that your God, you're doing, what you're doing is you're creating a God. When you live for the joy of the status that you get rather than the status that God gets from glorifying himself through you, beloved, when we do that, we break the first commandment. And we believe Satan and his temptation. All this I will give you. Status, splendor, success, joy. I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me. That means, that means fight with your spouse over the kid. One, it's, it happens every time. One spouse says, you know, now Adrian, you're spoiling the kid. Stop it, Ralphie. You're just, you know, like, you know, just like that back and forth that happens with the kid. Have you ever heard this where a spouse insults their spouse in front of the kid? What are they doing? Listen, they're trying to get all the joy and all. No, this is my treasure. This is my idol. This is my God. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is wish written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, interestingly enough, next sentence. Then the devil left him. Interesting. The devil doesn't stay forever. Then the devil left him, and watch. Angels came and attended him. Do you remember the scripture that Satan quoted, the second scripture that Satan quoted, that angels would take care of him? They did but not on Satan's terms, on God's terms. Now, that's quickly, because I've been telling you this entire time that Jesus is not your exemplar. He's not your example. He is your substitute. Let me tell you another story, but this one wasn't in the desert. And this one wasn't in a broken world. There's another story. There's another story where another man was in a garden. And the garden wasn't this barren desert where he had not eaten for 40 days. He was full and satisfied. He had a woman that God had given to him. And he was in that garden. And Satan came with the same exact lies. Trust me, don't trust God. And he didn't make stones into bread. He took a fruit of the one tree God said 
Don't eat. He took the fruit from the tree, ate it, and the whole world broke. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus said to Satan, this worked with Adam. This worked with Israel. This is not going to work with me. And rat, listen, Satan promised Adam, if you obey if you obey God, you will be miserable. And he was wrong. If he would have obeyed God, he would have been joyously, celebratedly happy. Here's the difference. The Father promised Jesus that if he did the will of the Father, that nothing but pain would come. See, Adam picked from the tree a fruit that he thought would give him life. Jesus hung on a tree and was the fruit that gave him death, but every one of us life. Jesus is not our substitute. Jesus is not our example. He's our substitute. So now you and I get tempted, and let's go back to that that food one. I want to eat and then I want to throw up. We can go, oh wait, Jesus, I'm not going to find my joy in this food or I'm not going to find my joy in how I look. I'm going to find my joy in what you've done on the cross for my salvation. You're not just my example. You're, you're my substitute. And you listen, I don't earn that. You've given it to me already. Right now, in this moment of temptation, you've already given me your joy. I'm going to walk in that. Jesus, she's really pretty, and she's treating me really bad at home, but I'm going to find my satisfaction, not in the one who's treating me bad or in the one who promises me all the joy that I could ever have. I'm going to find my satisfaction in you, knowing that you will satisfy me deeply and more filling than any sin could ever. Jesus, I'm in a situation where if I'm just a little bit of a liar, where I'm just, no, 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 I'm not going to pursue trying to gain a God-given gift in a God-forbidden way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to find my satisfaction in Jesus and rest in that. Beloved, that's when you start living in Christ and not by your willpower. Here's what I know. You will be tempted this week, and you will fail. That's what I know about you. I'm not preaching that you will succeed. What I am preaching is that there is one who already succeeded for you. That your salvation is found in not your win or loss streak. Salvation is found in finding your joy in Christ. Christ.